All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Oh, wow, you came from Canada? That's a long way. Gosh, I can't believe you've come all this way for a conference. Oh, my God, all the way from Canada? No. All the way from Toronto for the weekend? Oh, you picked the best conference? Fantastic. You came all the way from Canada? Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment? A story to share? Send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. Welcome back, Andrew. How are you? Oh, thanks, Mike. Long time no see. Long time no see. Uh, you're looking good as always, but I might, may I say that you look a little bit different. Did you get a tan, young man? People keep saying that I got a tan. I don't think I got a tan, but people keep commenting that I look tanned. What's that okay. about? Uh, well, I think they're just curious because uh, it is uh, the middle of February, and um, <laughs> usually people don't look that tanned unless they've been away. So have you been away, young man? Uh, guilty as charged. Yeah, I have been away. Nowhere tropical, but somewhere a little bit warmer than what we have here in Toronto. Uh, Leo and I actually had the chance to escape for about a week over to Spain, over to Barcelona for the International House ELT conference. And it was a very nice 15 to 18 degrees. So I think I did get a little bit of a tan. Well, excellent. And actually for you folks today, what we have is the first episode of a four-part series on Learn Your English's trip to Barcelona oh, yeah. and the International House ELT conference. And what we have for you today is the first episode where I think, Andrew, you're going to uh, talk to us a little bit about the trip, uh, the origins of the trip, and perhaps uh, the first day of the conference as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. So part one, we're going to get into Leo and I's trip over there, uh, what happened in the first couple of days, a couple of interviews that we did, and then day one of the conference with a couple of uh, opening talks as well. Excellent. Well, everyone, uh, welcome to Teacher Talking Time, and let's get started. Yo, ¿qué tal gente? ¿Cómo va? Mi nombre es Jan Salef, soy de Rusia, vivo en Ecuador, profesor español, y estoy escuchando a The Teacher Talking Time, The Learn Your English Podcast. And I do speak English too. What's up, my people? What's up, everyone? I hope everyone's, everyone's doing okay. Uh, I'm Ian. My name is Ian Salef. I'm from Russia, living in Ecuador in this moment. And uh, you are listening to The Teacher Talking Time, The Learn Your English Podcast. <laughs> Alright, so Leo and I are here, sitting in the lounge of Pearson Airport in Toronto, getting ready to board the flight to Barcelona. How are you Actually, feeling, Leo? Frankfurt first. We're going to uh, speak some German. Yes. <laughs> before we... Uh... Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah. No, 
Mm. That's better than uh, I can do. That's I pretty good. I don't really know much. <laughs> All right, so we're excited to head up to the uh, International House Conference, ELT Conference in Barcelona this year. Yes. Uh, getting over there and looking ahead to Friday's sessions. Mm -hmm. What are we looking forward to, Leo? So there's going to be the. I think one of the sessions that I, I we're both very um, interested in attending is the one with uh, Susan Barden, developing cross-cultural awareness in the monolingual classroom. Where does that stereotype come from? Um, from what I'm seeing here, Andrew, she's going to be talking a lot about something that we deal with, which is um, cultural awareness. We talk a lot about language awareness, but we don't seem to talk much about cultural awareness. Is this an insider view or an outsider view? Is this the way you think that the world views your culture or your identity, whatever it is, or is this something that we, who have this identity, believe about ourselves. What do you think? That's, that's bang on. We always talk about teaching students to listen uh, just to the content of the mm -hmm. course, but not mm -hmm. necessarily to each other and right. not how to interact with people from different cultures. Of course, yeah. high context, low context culture is a big aspect of yes. international communication. Right? Yes. Um, yeah, so that's going to be a good session. Um, so excited to learn from yes, this. We've yes. been to a couple of conferences this year already and I've learned mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, I think that's why I love going to these. We like to learn and I'm yeah. excited. These people are, are, are big time in the industry. Richard Caldwell here speaking on yeah. Friday uh, as well as uh, what's your name here? Susan. Susan. Actually, Susan. I have an interesting story. Mm. I actually used one of Susan Barden's uh, quotes in one of my reflective papers more, most recently. Oh, yeah. She was talking about the uh, teachers having to find a balance because she said, I, 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 I might be misquoting her here, but she said that teachers need to care about their personal lives before they can work on their professional lives. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, so what you bring into the classroom affects the class, is that yes, what? Yeah? Yes, I think it's also the idea of self-development more than professional development. Okay. Yeah. And the other session, Andrew, is uh, Richard Caldwell talking about uh, teachers uh, learning to deal with um, authentic recordings, which is something mm -hmm. that we, we experience. In this, in this world of decoding, there's a lot of indeterminacy. Words aren't purely one thing or purely another thing. So why then, I mean we'll get into this later I suppose, but why do most textbooks then have, have pedagogic texts or, or non-authentic recordings? I think because there, well I mean there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, primarily I would say because it's it makes it easier for the learners to understand. So in a way they're kind of like dumbing it down or watering it down. Mm -hmm. um, but again I don't think that those kinds of um, listening texts really help learners cope with the, I would say, the Real life. jungle listening <laughs> that it is listening um, in a second language. Yeah, no, for, I mean, there's certainly merit to watering it down, obviously, for understanding comprehension, but it's, it's demotivating, obviously, yes. in a couple of cases as well, uh, because students know it's not authentic, they know it's not real, and, and it doesn't mm -hmm. challenge them as much. So our job as teachers, and hopefully we can learn from these sessions when we get over there to Barcelona, how to yeah. adapt these texts further and to make authentic texts even for lower level or lower mm -hmm. proficiency level students. Another very interesting point about this session, which I think we're going to be um, learning more about, is, um, is the fact that we actually don't tell our students what is actually happening in in terms of listening. A lot of what we do, Andrew, is we're testing them, right? We give them a, a lot of the times textbooks, they give you them, they give the students a list of comprehension questions and they basically just have to go through, you know, saying whether it's true or false or, you know, writing down one or two details. But at the end of it, we don't really know what the students have learned. In ELT, we don't do enough work on decoding the sound substance. And as I'm going to explain, uh, relying on meaning uh, leads us down uh, uh, unhelpful routes. 
Mm. So this is a big question, right? Not testing, listening, but teaching, teaching, listening. listening. It's a so, big one. Yeah. So uh, excited, excited, looking forward to Friday. Let's uh, let's leave it off here for one last thing. Let's ask a couple of questions about what we hope to answer, and then when we come back and record the part later on mm-hmm. in our trip, maybe yeah. we can answer those questions. What's what's one question you're hoping to get answered this weekend? Um, I am hoping that I will come up with, uh, I'll leave the conference with a few ideas on how intercultural awareness can be actually exploited in the classroom. Mm, that's good. So, yeah. yeah, that's one. Okay. I'm hoping myself to get some more resources on where these experts have learned and drawn their experiences. The question that you asked me earlier mm-hmm. is a good one. Uh, they all have ample experience, so if they were going to give advice to themselves, when yeah. they were beginning to teach, what would it be? I want to get a question, an answer to that. Yes. And, and we'll update uh, ourselves as we go through yes. the trip. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's, All right. A, that's it for now. Thank you. And we'll see you on the other side when mm-hmm. we're uh, good and jet-lagged. All right, so we've made it to Frankfurt. We're here in a cafe, waking up a bit with a, with a coffee and a, yeah. an avocado bagel. Bagel? Bagel? How do you say it? Bagel. Like, where's the stress in that? I don't know. I don't speak German. It, what in English? Where's the stress? Oh. Bagel. bagel, bagel. People say it differently. They, they bagel. disagree. Yeah, I would bagel, say bagel. 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 I say bagel too. Yeah. How was the flight on your end? It was tight. Yeah. I feel like I always have. They always, for some reason, I think it's some sort of Murphy's law, where I basically just have people that are extremely. They're giants, basically. <laughs> but I had three giants beside me, and it was just a tight flight. Okay. Yeah. I had a nice Indian couple next to me. I had to help them out with their English a little bit because oh. he, was, he was, you know, he had words but not sentences, you know. Oh. So I told him he had to order, but I was fine. Was, so a little bit of translanguaging. There, a little bit yeah. of translanguaging. He had to help him with his TV screen. It wasn't working. <laughs> so I was IT a little bit, IT support okay. in the room. Okay. They're from Punjab. They were in Toronto visiting their son who was sick in the hospital. Oh. He's fine Sorry. now, by the okay. way. So it's okay. Uh, but I got to know them a little bit, so that was nice. Right. But it wasn't as long a flight as I thought it was going to be, so... No, no, it wasn't. Um, and now we're heading to uh, Barcelona. On the way to Bar- yeah, Bar- 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 Barcelona. Barcelona. Uh, but the airport in Frankfurt, it's a little city. So it uh, It's vibrant here. It's 8.33 local time. Uh, well, that would be 6.30, no, 2.33 a.m. our time. Oh, yeah, time. You hear that in the background, that's making a, looks like an avocado smoothie. vegetable smoothie. That looks really good. Yeah. Should we get one of those after? I don't know. I, right. I think the, uh, the, the bagel was enough. Or the bagel. Or the bagel, bagel. Bagel. Speaking of translanguaging, it was nice that the lady thought we were German earlier. Yes. Spoke to us in rapid German and... That was a rapid fire German. We did our English. best smile and nod. We were the learners for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Let's go see if we can finish our coffee and then we'll try and... And finally, our tired and weary little travelers uh, arrived in Barcelona safe and sound. Okay, Mike, so I want to play a little uh, situation association here with you, okay? I want you to imagine that you're traveling. Not so hard to imagine because well, you travel you know, all the time. Well, I, I want you to imagine that you've just arrived, for example, in Barcelona, okay? Hmm. It's an overnight flight. You've lost a night's sleep going to Europe 
due to the time change, all that kind of stuff. You didn't sleep on the plane because it was uncomfortable, children screaming. Every time you kind of got to sleep, the turbulence turbulence jolted me. jolted you awake. Yeah. They came with food. You couldn't quite get to sleep. You haven't showered. You feel kind of nasty, right? Ah, nothing so, new there. <laughs> so what's the first thing that you would do? I don't know. Maybe hotel, Airbnb, hit the hay. Yep. Well, that's not exactly what we did. We're here on a sunny patio with lots of dogs and people. Everyone's relaxing. Yes. Leo, what time is it right now? Local time. It's uh, 2.15 in Spain and the market has just shut down. The market shut down? What do you mean the market shut down? It's siesta time. Ah, what does that mean? I think they're just going to fucking take a nap now. going to take a nap? Yeah. Meanwhile, in, uh, in North America, what do you think is happening right now? I think people are starting their classes, going to their second part-time job, pulling all-nighters. Are they taking naps? No naps in North America. So uh, it's really nice to be back in Spain. The culture yes. here is so different, you know? It's very re I've only been here for like an hour, but it's very relaxed. Yes. You can see, I mean, a little bit absurd with people walking around with hoods and winter jackets. It's 21 degrees. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, the market closing, everyone's still, you got kids over here, school's out, they're playing games, they're running around, families here having some beers, having some lunch, baguettes walking around. I can get used to this. How about you? Oh yeah, I love this place. Man. I love Spain. It's uh, it's what they say, buen provecho. <laughs> so should we come back here? Absolutely. Every year? Every year. Uh, for the sun, for tapas, for cañas, and for the conference, I guess. Oh, right? for for, for, for work, of course, Power. as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're gonna take the next couple of days exploring, and then we're gonna do some actual work. But yeah. uh, so far, first impressions. 100%. 100%. Well, I'm glad you were all right. Oh my, uh, <laughs> you you actually did get some work done though, right? You uh, you watched some presentations or took part in some workshops. Yeah, I mean you got to balance the fun and the play. Oh, right? balances everything. I mean the work. Sorry. Yes. 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 Well, <laughs> yes, tell us about your first presentation then. Yeah, of course. No. So on the Friday was the first day of the conference, and there were two plenary talks. Uh, one by Dr. Susan Barden, and the other one by Richard Caldwell. So let's start uh, with Susan's talk, and that was about. Uh, cultural barriers and multiculturalism uh, and the value of culture in class, but more specifically in a monocultural classroom. And that mm. sounds kind of funny or strange initially, doesn't it, Mike? Sounds like an oxymoron, right? Yeah. 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 So Intercultural what... relations in a monolingual classroom. <laughs> so, you know, our first thought might be in a mon monocultural classroom, sorry, we might not have to deal with culture very much because they all come from the same culture. So, What's the point, Mike, in talking about culture in that kind of classroom? Well, I mean, coming from Nova Scotia, I mean, obviously all Canadians are the same, right? Uh, well, obviously. I don't think so, folks. No. So did she touch on that, like the differences within a country and the cultural uh, differences that might occur? So another thing right. you can so, do is define out, and again, this is with a monocultural classroom, just to find out how different people are and how each person in that monoculture is unique and different from the others. And really getting outside of of our zone, of our center of the world. She started by asking everybody what they thought or what we thought the center of the world is. And oh, yeah, like the old map activities, right? Like draw a map of the world, where, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? So, And obviously there's no answer to that, but we all have, or we're all from somewhere different. We all have our own quote-unquote center 
of our own world, right? If you're from Toronto, maybe the Maple Leafs are the center oh, of the world. Sorry, folks. If you're from Rio, maybe Sugarloaf is the center of the world. If you're from Japan... Uh, well, I, I want to say Tokyo, but uh, people from Osaka might uh, chop my legs off. But yeah, well, don't say that then. <laughs> but the point being that there's no wrong answer, and it's just an awareness that each of us as individuals have a different life, have a different background, come from somewhere different. And she sub-segmented the term culture. So even if we are teaching, as a lot of us do out there, uh, monolingual classrooms that doesn't necessarily mean that and they definitely are not monocultural classrooms because even if we're from the same country i'm from toronto or ontario you're from nova scotia right even if we're from the same province or the same state we're probably from different cities even if we're from the same city we're from different areas of that same city even if we're from the same borough we're from a different neighborhood same same neighborhood different street same street different house you get the idea right so you can sub-segment it as far down as, or as narrowly as you want and you can find some differences that way so uh, just out of curiosity, did she touch on anything like, um, like you know, some of the stereotypes that might go along with those uh, regional differences or, <laughs> or how, how a student might be able to explore those on their own? Yeah, of course. So obviously she, not obviously, but she did start her talk by kind of demonstrating or showing us an activity that or a series of activities that she does or that we can do in our classrooms to kind of generate this awareness. And it starts from the outside. So it starts by asking your students to talk about other cultures, so stereotypes, oh, okay. for example. So she had us do... So the next activity is going to be working on stereotypes. And I'm going to lay myself open. We're going to talk about the stereotypes of U.S. Americans. The safer thing to do is pop centers, okay? But we can do this. All right. You want to fill in these letters. U.S. Americans. But guess what? Then she asked us to do it about introspectively about our uh, own okay, culture, then. and it was a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think it's harder? Well, I mean, you're 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 kind of thinking a little bit about maybe a self critique, or you're exploring some of your core values, which uh, you know that self reflections. You know, requires a lot of critical thinking. Um, uh, sure so, does. Yeah, and it's funny because um, you have to explain these things, right? Like it's not, you know, well, you, it's not only Americans are this way or Canadians are this way. It's well, why? Why do you think that? So when you're suddenly asked to write, like, you know, how are like, uh, you know, a Nova Scotia would spend a hundred dollars on, right? Something mm. like that, and um, they say rum, rum, rum. <laughs> well, you know, why? Why are you saying rum, right? Like, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's a cool activity. Yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. Um, what about like getting um. You know, I've seen a lot of teachers uh, kind of touch on similar things in my own classroom observations. And, uh, um, you know, part of this obviously is, you know, presenting and, and sharing. Uh, were there any any activities about uh, drawing on their own kind of knowledge resources to help others? Like, you know, like uh, what are the survival skills, you know, someone would need if they were moving to your country or, or a person who's new to your country would need to know the following. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, she, she did a good job of explaining that as well, just to f- finish that first thought quickly. Mm-hmm. And basically, the, the you know, it was a long, really good talk and good presentation. The, the main idea was just to have more introspection in the classroom uh, about each individual's culture, right? So if you ask somebody about their culture, uh, it's easy for them to 
answer that per se because they're not thinking about the differences even within their own culture right if you if someone asks us oh what about canadian culture that's easy to answer because it's so broad but if you ask hey andrew tell me about scarborough culture for example right? right or you know we teach predominantly chinese students if you ask them about chinese culture that's not really the best question to ask okay so tell me what city you're from tell me what neighborhood you're from and then tell me about the culture that way and you know what that's a really hard question to answer you have to really think about it mm. so basically her point was for us to empathize sympathize and understand other cultures the first step is to really understand our own culture and where we come from in a much smaller scale than what we usually think about it which i thought was really really fascinating right yeah um, to answer your second question, uh, yeah, so she got on in the second part of the talk about uh, giving advice. So part of understanding one's culture then is so to imagine someone's coming to your country, to your city, to your state, to your neighborhood, whatever, and what would that person need? I think lots of teachers use this activity in class as well, right? Uh, to adapt, to get along, uh, to be successful, to to not be indirectly rude, you know, by mistake, which of course is part of the fun of traveling, but we like to avoid it as much as possible, of course. Um, so in a language school setting, you know, homestays are a common common option. And she asked, uh, you know, to ask our students, if someone was coming to learn in your country, in your city, in your culture, what advice would you give that person or a homestay to board a person from your culture uh, in order to have them have the best experience and most accommodating experience possible? Yeah, well, that's actually nice because those that's as you explained earlier, you know, that's how they overlap, right? Like understanding how your culture is different is going to then better inform the uh, the second task and mm -hmm. um, and support. And again, it's all student centered, right? You're you're using your students' knowledge, so they they play a vital role in the classroom, and um, that's that's great for their their confidence. Yeah, there's and no right answer to these things. No, so talk, of course going not. back to the center of the world uh, example, where obviously there's no center of the world unless you're a flat earther, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then going into questions like the word family. So she asked us, you know, when when you use the word family, who do you include? I think speaking for me, I would usually we're referring to what we call a nuclear family, right? Your parents, right. any siblings that you may have may extend it to cousins but but maybe no further and in lots of cultures family encompasses anybody that you could possibly be related to second cousins third cousins eighth cousins great great grandparents once removed etc cetera, etc cetera, right again no right or wrong answer just mm -hmm. trying to get the awareness out that culture what's encompassing with culture is different from different parts and different aspects of the world well it's about perspective right like and, I, and i'm sure she would have focused on that right you know um your perspective or how you view your family is going to be different depending on you know where you come from and, and how you were raised and uh, and and so absolutely. on. absolutely i think i've told this story before but speaking of perspective right one of my first classes i ever taught back to my costa rica days and i got in a little bit of an argument not a little bit got into an argument with my class <laughs> about how many continents there are in the world because i was the ignorant foreigner in that case and uh in north america we learned that there are seven continents in the world and in latin america it is learned that there are five, that the continent mm. of America is one full continent. And so course, you are an American. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> from my perspective, no. That doesn't oh. mean that that's the right answer or a wrong answer, just a different answer. And in their perspective, anyone who is from the continent of America, from the north, Canada, all the way down to Argentina in the south, uh, is continentally associated or identified as American, and then the okay. nationality therein. Uh, smaller. Um, I don't identify as an American, as 
I think is normal and from our perspective from North America. But again, this is the idea of perspective and just having you know, classroom application, having our students be aware of their own culture and then from that being able to see that, oh, hey, you know what? I'm in a, monoling- a monocultural classroom. Uh, all the students are from the same country, but they have different interpretations of what I think my culture is. Maybe that also exists in other places in the world as well. Yeah, and it's also about you know empathizing you know with that, like realizing that that is a difference, realizing that they might have that different perspective, and understanding that there's a very valid reason for that perspective. That you're not teaching your culture per se; it's you know making taking their culture and uh, uh, teaching. Te- well, air quotes, teaching to that or adjusting Absolutely. to that. Yeah. yeah, and then the other point she made with the last one was about interpretation versus description. And again, coming from perception, coming from your story, your hmm. life, where you're from, the, all the influences, positive and negative, that you've encountered throughout your life. And she had us describe a picture of her as she was on vacation somewhere, and then she had us erase. And then the next instruction is to go back and cross out just facts, things that are indisputable from the picture. So that Any you're only left with emotion, pure marital status, or weather, so take a look at your list, anything that's interpretation, rock it. <laughs> yeah, nice. And it'd be really good because you could then reflect on that and see, okay, so what are some, maybe some biases coming out? Um, what To what level am I kind of injecting them kind of into, into this picture as well? Different so people like might have different pictures, about pictures kind of as well. Learning and I would get people to say it and then people would go, no, that's an interpretation. And fight over it. To really get to the point of what is the difference between those two concepts. You know, reinterpreting that and kind of analyzing your own. Uh, response and then maybe making future decisions based on that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a fascinating stuff. Um, so you said there were two keynotes, though. There were on the first day. There, there was two. That was the first one, and the second one was by uh, Richard Caldwell, who, if you're not familiar with Richard, is a big proponent of connected speech and attacking listening in the classroom. And his talk was about using authentic texts in class, uh, which can always be a tricky element uh, because it's it's motivating, as Leo and I alluded to earlier uh, in this episode, but also can be very challenging for students to understand. So this is the person I have to hold responsible for having to do the transcription element of my uh, diptychal, is it? <laughs> this is well, it. I will send him yeah. an email immediately following this podcast recording. <laughs> Thank you very much. Please do. Uh, Richard Caldwell. Uh, sorry to interrupt there, Andrew. So, um, uh. From what I know of um, of uh, Richard Caldwell, is that it's, he's very much aligned to classroom practice, right? You know, how, mm-hmm. helping to kind of teach listening or help uh, students cope. Uh, what were kind of um, the main takeaways that you got from uh, his presentation? Yeah, so he he yeah to kind of elaborate. Very on interesting what you person, just said. by the way. I do respect him. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I, I feel as soon as I said that, I was guilty. But um, but no, uh, it was yeah. very interesting. And he, was, and he kind of uh, hedged a little bit on his presentation. He you know he said it, what he's going to do is a little bit overkill. Um, but basically, yeah, he divides authentic texts, or shouldn't say, he divides classroom listening into different categories. But first, he was talking about, you know, not just testing listening, but teaching listening is what uh, we always propose here through Learn Your English about, right. you know, teaching listening, the skills of listening, not just testing it through comprehension questions and these types of things. 
Um, and he divided classroom listening into three categories. The first one he called the greenhouse, Ooh. right, which is kind of where everything grows. You know, you have your plants. Everything is preserved. It's really nice. The temperature is controlled. Oh, I'm there, folks. It's February here in Canada, by the way, so uh, apologies for that. And it's where we, as teachers, would... And there's different opinions on whether this is a positive or not a positive, but we would grade our language, mm. right? So I am looking at a dog, right? And clearly students will be able to understand that, no problem, but is right. that really helpful in terms of developing the listening skills? Arguably, yes. Arguably, no. Probably not. At least not more than, you know, as a model, perhaps, right. but not, not more than that. And then we graduate to the second level, uh, which is the garden. So now we're outside. So now there's a little <laughs> bit of elements, right? You got your wind, you've got your rain, sunshine, whatever the case may be. Um, you can touch things, you can move around. And this is where what you say, you know, connected speech is introduced, where the okay. sounds, uh, because the language is not so cognitively graded, we have the sounds kind of getting mushed together. But okay. it's still not authentic because we're still changing things a little bit. And then the last one is what Leo was talking about earlier with the jungle, where everything's crushed and everything's authentic and we speak as we normally would speak uh, anywhere and lots of sounds, or sorry, lots of words sound like other sounds and only highly proficient or native speakers really have a brain that will to, you know, can recognize that and students in the classroom have trouble and this is why listening right. is so hard for them. I, I, I appreciate how uh, the metaphor is very much like the real life, right? You go from a garden to a jungle. Similar, you go from, say, like control practice, analyzing language to full-on authentic tasks text rather and good luck <laughs> right so I mean, so we got to get them there somehow right exactly. i guess is his point yeah so caldwell was saying well how do we get them there yeah, and yeah he actually yeah. was saying that we should move away or not have such a high focus on meaning when we listen to text and, and focus more on de having helping students to decode the sounds and okay. to decode what they're hearing and to transfer if what they're hearing is actually what is, is being said or not when we oh, focus okay. on meaning he says that is simply testing their listening skills, not teaching them to listen. Listen, right, yeah. Okay. So, can you give us an example? Um, I'm going to play you a recording of these words. It's not me. Can you just say, it's not me, in a variety of ways to the person sitting next to you? while I take a sip of water. It's not me, it's not me, it's not me. It's not me, it's not me. It's not me, it's not me, it's not me. Now, can you say the bottom line? <laughs> but it depends what your meaning is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But that's meaning. That's not. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. It's not me. <laughs> it's the same. Is that the point? I am. It's not me. It's the same. So, as you may have realized, that is the same recording. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. I, I could think of a few off the top of my head. I mean, were there any? No, no, of course. So he, one of the examples he talked about was the word physical, 
right? Uh, so in, in context, for example, let's think of one here. Uh, so Mike, have you gotten any physical exercise recently? Uh, in February? No. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. It's just, you know, it's a cold month, folks. But if we go back and mm. listen to that sentence, you know, the word physical, isolated, most students, you know, intermediate, as long as they've been exposed to the word, would hear right. the word physical, right? But in the sentence that I said it, actually what it sounds like is the word fizzle. So you have those elements of connected speech exactly. kind of interfering with the overall message. And a highly functioning speaker of the language or listener of the language in this case would be able to deduce or decode or infer that the word fizzle in that sentence doesn't make any sense. Right. And their brain automatically erases that as an option and then inserts the word physical because that makes sense. But as students are learning to listen, learning the language, they're not able to make that distinction. Right. So I guess what you're looking at here then are things like, um, you know, activities that uh, maybe such as like parsing where you're kind of mm -hmm. like the meta, the meta linguistic side of it here where you're asking students to maybe look at a smaller or shorter text, perhaps in authentic speed and natural speed, but having them think a little bit about, um, you know, what comes next. So yeah. Andrew and Leo went probably to somewhere right That's to the yeah. patio yeah yeah <laughs> thank you for reminding me yes, yeah yes. or um, or other you know like so predicting techniques um having them think about you know what might be missing so it sounds very similar to what you might do with a reading but then you're you're kind of putting it more into terms of a you're framing it rather in in, in listening um, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And he actually, Caldwell has coined a term that he uses in his book. It's called the blur gap. And the oh, blur okay. gap is this gap of, you know, where native speakers and highly proficient speakers of the language don't hear what they don't hear. You know, the point I'm illustrating is, is that there's a land of in between in the mush of everyday speech that learners encounter directly when they're listening to authentic recordings. Experts who know what the words are and who know what the meanings are don't encounter that. Sometimes as teachers, we don't actually realize why our students don't understand what they're listening to. They encounter an idealized form that they have normalized because of the blur gap that they suffer from. Why aren't they it's physical. It's so obvious. Well, it's not. Actually, if we put on our learner hat and we try to hear what they hear, I wish there was an app for that where we could hear what the student is hearing. That would be so cool. Yeah. But what they're hearing is fizzle. And of course they don't understand what the sentence means because fizzle doesn't make, one, that's not a word that's high frequency. They probably don't even know what fizzle means. That's the sound that they're hearing. And two, even if they do know what fizzle means, it doesn't make any sense in that mm -hmm. sentence. And of course they're confused. And, they, and on a test, they still might even write the word fizzle, right? Like, right. you know, that, that's the kind of, yeah, Which, to be honest, the teaching moment that we have to is a focus good on, thing right? you know? because that's the sound that's being produced. So if they're transcribing the word fizzle, that actually means that their ears, their the listening skills are actually working. Which is why English is so kind of strange because they if they transcribe fizzle, that's a good thing that they're hearing mm. correctly. The next step is just the cognitive dissonance, is the yeah. the inferencing of okay, that doesn't actually make sense. Yeah. Right. So what? Yeah. What part of speech is that? Um, you know, the language awareness aspect of it. Um, it's it's actually quite funny. I mean, every time I think about this type of this type of uh, thing with um, 
connected speech, I always go back to uh, you know the old uh, Jimi Hendrix song, right? <laughs> oh, right. Excuse me while I kiss the sky, right? Kiss like, the sky or kiss the sky, right? And yeah. um, you know, it's, it's you know it strikes debate, right? Like you know, there are fans of Jimi Hendrix who like you know spend time talking about this, and uh, as again as Andrew said, you know, as native speakers, we uh, we might even miss it. Like we're not even yep. You know, we're we're not even sure that this breakdown is happening. Well, so. have you ever watched those on, on YouTube? There's lots of the misheard lyrics YouTube videos, and they're, you know, what you say you can't unhear something. Yes. So whenever yeah. you hear the misheard lyric, every time I hear that song, I always go back and I hear the lyric that's not real, but it sounds like it, right? Mm-hmm. In the Bon Jovi song, whatever I forget the name of the song, but it doesn't matter if, if. It doesn't matter if we make it or not, right? But the mystery, it doesn't matter if we're naked or not. Oh, my god! Every time I hear that song, that's, I can't unhear we're it. We're fully clothed here. Please. I can't just unhear it. it. Everyone, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so even in English, the point, the takeaway is even in English, it's hard because as proficient or native speakers, you know, modals, for example, can or can't. How many times do you have to confirm with someone right. that what you're talking to if they said it in the positive or in the negative? Pretty frequently, right? And, and this, so is, it's this just is Randy Newman who won an Oscar for... Monster Inc. film music, I think. But he's best known for his Toy Story film music. You've got a friend in me. In terms of writing, I can give you advice. In terms of writing, I can give you advice. Uh I was convinced when I first heard it that it was what we Brits would... It would be calmed. <laughs> but after like a fair bit of research, I, I'm now convinced of the opposite. <laughs> that he he, he, he's, he intends what we Brits would say, um, can. In terms of writing, I can give you advice. I put this out for a vote on a discussion group. <laughs> and 11 people vote, voted for can. Six people voted for calm, and one person voted don't know. You know, we, we spend so much time, you know, in a pre-listening task, you know, predict, guess guess the context. What do you what do you think is going to happen? And then still, students will still kind of make this mistake. So it, it just really goes to show that we need to um, focus on these sentence level features. And Andrew, did he talk a little bit about? Um, uh, working with shorter texts versus longer texts, or is that just something that I've, I'm kind of no, going back to uh, on, he, from my own teacher training? He didn't specifically, no. Yeah. Um, although I think we can infer that he would say that. That, that shorter he, text would be better? So authentic speech with maybe a shorter... Yeah, because yeah. I mean, he was really emphasizing decoding and going back right. and listening okay. again and again and again. And he can't really do that if it's a longer text, right? Mm-hmm. So really exploiting the text, I think shorter would be would be the case in, in that. But he was really emphasizing the how difficult English as a language is. And he had all of these types of different examples. Uh, so the phrase for... And so we go back to the first step of this. So the greenhouse, if I say, and then I bought a house, right? But now if I apply the jungle mentality to that, I would say it, and then I bought a house, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's the same words, it's the same clause, it's the same sentence, but it sounds drastically differently. And he did a calculation, and in that little sentence, there are 14.5 syllables per second. Right, yeah. Can yeah. you imagine trying yeah. to listen to that as a, a learner of the language? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. And... Um, Definitely something that, as a as a teacher, I've you know certainly have tried to improve, and I, I hope that people comment 
um, uh, share with us their own experience working with listening because I think yeah. it's 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 a skill that we that we don't necessarily teach like it's a, we teach a lot of comprehension um, and I think that it's that this as you said the the kind of meta language and the the skills and the focus on listening for sounds and teaching actually how to listen is overlooked I find we teach this the kind of comprehension skill and not necessarily uh, how to analyze the language from a metacognitive level and uh, that seems to be where Definitely. the industry is going as well I think yeah I mean if we go back to Susan Bardon's talk about culture I mean, we can apply it here I think as well in order to teach listening we really have to understand our own language first right so he, he did have one cautionary tale about you know what he said beware of the logic of meaning and, and don't emphasize the meaning all the time. You know, mm. if we if we really listen, you know, quote unquote jungle listening, and listen to authentic texts that are in past tense, uh, the pronunciation of those past tense sounds t d e d whatever, for regular for example, uh, are not actually pronounced by proficient or native speakers of English. Uh, so he was saying when we ask our students to produce language in past tense, we have them emphasize t d e d. It's not really real it's not authentic mm -hmm. and then when we're listening those sounds aren't produced aren't either produced, right right yeah. so it goes to, back to inferencing of if it's present future or past not actually based on sound but based on context based on yeah. discourse and discourse analysis and again so we have to really understand the language how the language works itself uh before we can can teach the skills of listening, which i thought was really interesting well, uh, sounds like a very exciting first day. It was, uh, yeah. And I like, I really like the uh, the the two different approaches, right? We have one, as you said, they were kind of linked, but I definitely think that there was one kind of more kind of culturally based, and the other linguistic based. And as a teacher, there you would find that incredibly rewarding for a first day. Well, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. On our next episode, we will look at sec uh, segment two of our yeah. trip to Barcelona, where I think we're going to explore the Saturday sessions. Yeah, so Saturday was an all-day session over there at IH Barcelona, a big full day, so I can't wait to get into that episode with you. A little sneak peek, there was a, a talk by Scott Thornbury, George Pickering was there, Ferran Velasco was there, and we have a one-on-one -on -one exclusive with one of the speakers as well, so lots to come up uh, in that episode so that's this episode uh, further along in our little mini-series here about our, our Learner English's trip to Barcelona oh thank you very much for listening everyone and we'll see you next time on Teacher Talking Time you've been listening to Teacher Talking Time brought to you by Learn Your English Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.